Amen. That's wonderful. That storm at the beginning, I know it threw you out. It threw you off because it sounds like every Sunday for the last I don't know how many. So as a matter of fact, last week, last evening, um, I was in the Lindsay building on Sunday night when my phone started beeping because of that alert that there was weather, bad weather moving into the area. I'm sure it happened to y'all as well. Uh, so threats of storms and tornadoes in um, our region. And so we were dealing with uh, dismissal down in the Children's Center and over in the student area um, at that time. So I went down to the uh, stairs to make sure they had everything under control. Got down there and everybody had out their phones streaming Jim Gandy uh, as he tracked the path for us of the storm. And uh, of course we were fortunate downtown because as four tornadoes touched in the Midlands, uh, we were spared downtown. Uh, but we know that other folks were greatly affected sister church out in Red Bank that dealt with some structural damage to their building. I know so many of you probably know folks. My oldest son, Caleb, has a good friend at school with him who played on his basketball team, and uh, the storm knocked down a tree right on his house, and uh, he was in the middle of the home, and it smashed the back part of the home right on his bed where he would have been laying later. So just a scary thing. And then, of course, in Alabama, uh, the storms that raged through there, 23 people left dead. Um, just a, a scary thing. Uh, I know that Baptist uh, Disaster Relief is on the ground there, and so it's a reminder to us to be praying for the families that were affected by this, and of course, the whole community, uh, because it was such a devastating thing. So storms are a scary thing, and you all know this. We all listen to the meteorologists as they track the storm, but what we want is somebody to step in and stop the storm, and they can't quite do that. They stand out there in the wind and show us what it's like, but they really can't stop the wind. So today we're going to look at one of the more famous moments in Jesus' life uh, where he was not just there to tell about a storm, but he was there to stop a storm. So last week we began a series uh, called King Jesus, a series that's going to take us through the Gospel of Mark for several weeks. Now many people consider the stories of the Bible to be just legend, uh, maybe just uh, oral um, histories or oral traditions that have been handed down and changed over time until finally somebody wrote it down and it's just legend. Uh, but I submit to you today that the Gospels are oral histories written down from the accounts of eyewitnesses who were still alive and active in the community when they were written down. And what we find in the Gospel of Mark is the Jesus of testimony as perceived or as presented by the writer, Mark. And we believe that Mark was a close associate of Peter, Jesus' disciple. So the apostle Peter is the one who's telling this, and Mark, as his translator, is writing it down. And of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because we are reading from the inspired word of God this morning. Now Mark's main message is that Jesus has come, which demands decisive action from everybody who hears it. That's not just a passive thing, but a decisive action. And Mark does not focus as much attention on Jesus' teaching or Jesus' words, but he really focuses on the actions of Jesus. Last week we looked at Jesus' friendship with uh, sinners and tax collectors. And it's there that he stated his purpose. Um, he, his stated purpose um, of, um, of rescuing those who are far from God and bringing healing from those who are far from God. Now this morning we're going to look at King Jesus, the miracle worker. Most of Jesus' miracles were healings or uh, demonic exorcisms. But the miracle we're going to look at today is a miracle involved in the natural world. And this is one of two that Mark introduces to us in his gospel. 
And although it's not a direct healing, it is an act of compassion because we know he is intervening for the sake of people whose lives are on the line. So look, at me, uh, look with me at chapter 4 of Mark's Gospel. That's the second book of the New Testament. And, and I'm going to read to you this morning from verse 35, and I'll read through verse 41. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. This passage of Scripture shows King Jesus with authority over even the wind and the waves, rescuing his followers from the threat of death. And the message I want us to consider this morning is that we can have faith in King Jesus, who has all power and loving concern for the perishing, specifically for you and me. And the first thing we see is that King Jesus has loving concern for the perishing in this violent storm. So we're going to look at the context of this passage of Scripture. The headquarters for Jesus' ministry was in the Galilee. So this is in the northeast part of Israel, close to Lebanon and uh, to Syria. So it's up there in that region. And right in the center of that region, surrounded by hills, is the sea. It's also known as the Sea of Tiberias or Lake Gennesaret or Lake Kinneret. It's called several names, but we know it by the Sea of Galilee. And the sea is not large. It's more of what you might think of as a lake. In fact, it's smaller than many of the lakes that you're used to visiting. That's how small this is. It sounds big because of sea. But because of the terrain in this area, you could expect that occasionally the cool air from the heights of the surrounding mountains, the Golan, could come down and create almost a wind tunnel effect and collide with the warm, moist air that's coming off the Mediterranean Sea, and that is a perfect recipe for a storm. So perhaps that's what happened. Perhaps that's what happens in this passage. Verse 35 says, on that day. So this is the day that's first mentioned in the first verse of Mark 4. Mark 4, 1 says, He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into the boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea, on the land. So Jesus gets on a boat. This is not a ship. This is, remember, a small lake, so more of a fishing boat. And he pushes out. The crowds are, he's performed miracles here. Well, if you knew of somebody that performed a miracle, you would be attracted too. So the crowds start to gather. And it's such a big crowd that they have to create this stage of sorts. So Jesus gets on the boat, pushes the boat out to shore, creates distance, and that's where he teaches from as the crowds gather around to hear him. And it's on this same day that Jesus, as the sun is setting, says, let's go to the other side. Now, going the, uh, all the way across the lake is an eight-mile trip. That's about how wide the lake is. And that's not very far, of course. 
So the disciples would have gotten on the boat, and then verse 36 says there were other boats that were with them. So several boats going over to carry Jesus, his disciples, and uh, closest followers. Fortunately, several of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. So they spent so much of their lives on this lake. They knew it, backwards and forwards. They knew how to sail on it. And it's at this point that this fierce wind starts to blow, and all of a, storm, all of a sudden a storm is gathering on the lake. Now, I haven't spent near as much time as many of you have on the lake. Um, years ago, when I was a college minister, uh, we had many lake parties, and there was one in particular where we had a lake party on the Gilbert side of Lake Murray, but I was borrowing a pontoon from the uh, Chapin side. And so Caleb was about four or five. He went with me. We got on the pontoon and started headed across the lake, but the motor wasn't a great motor. It was the slowest ride across Lake Murray ever. After the, lake, uh, after the party uh, finished, we were headed back across to return the boat uh, to the dock on the Chapin side. And out of nowhere, for me, an unskilled sailor of sorts, the waves start getting choppy. And the wind starts blowing. Y'all know what it's like. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing, rain starts pouring in, and I get a little panicky out there because I've got my son here, and i got a boat. I don't know how to drive, and the motor barely works. And so we're cruising across Lake Murray. So as the storm all of a sudden comes along here in our passage of Scripture, where do they find Jesus? Verse 38 says, he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Well, this is where we find Jesus' humanity at play. Jesus is fully God, fully man. So we expect Jesus to walk on water. We expect Jesus to heal the blind. But in here, it's Jesus goes to sleep. And you're like, what? Why is Jesus asleep? He dozes off, and the crazy thing is that the waves are evidently crashing pretty high because the boat starts filling up with water. And so Jesus is sleeping through that. And so the disciples do what anyone would do. They go to wake him up, you know. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing here? Now, these were skilled mariners, okay? These are not unexperienced. These aren't Wes out on a pontoon on Lake Murray. These are skilled sailors. So the storm must have been rough for them to be this scared. And you would have expected they would be the ones who'd be like, okay, you need to get up because it's going to take all of us. We're going to be fine. But no, they are a little panicky, and the carpenter is the one who's sleeping through it. Like, eh, no big deal. So they, they, he's relaxed while they're panicky. Now, they repay the favor to him. Years later, in the Garden of Gethsemane, they fall asleep on him. But here in this moment, he's asleep. And they say, teacher, which is the first time we read the words teacher, uh, in reference to Jesus in the book of Mark. And they confront him for what appeared to be his indifference. Now, many of you have said something similar to God. Over the years, as you face difficult circumstances or the storms of life, you've said, God, don't you care? Haven't you noticed? You know, he seemed absent to the disciples. Where was he? He's asleep. In our greatest need, he's asleep. And maybe you feel the same way. In my time of greatest need, I can't find Jesus. I call out to him and I feel like nobody hears me. Perhaps as you look at your own life, even right now, you think you must have gotten something wrong here. Because living the Christian life has led you straight into storms that you thought you should have been able to avoid. Well, one thing I noticed from this passage is that having Jesus on board the ship of your life does not guarantee a storm-free life. I have to point out here that I at least have one thing in common with Jesus. Like him, I can sleep anywhere. 
It doesn't have to be a comfortable bed. It can be in the middle of a storm, and I'll sleep through it. Uh, so, I mean, Jesus is asleep in the storm. It's incredible. And it uh, reminds me of some of you. In fact, on a day like today, when you've lost that extra hour of sleep, it's a whole lot easier to fall asleep over here. Bob told me i got to make this worth his while so he can stay awake. But, you know, I don't blame you, though, because I can fall asleep anywhere, too. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, it was, um, I was putting Amelia to bed, and so I'm sitting in a chair in her room, and I'm reading a book to her. She's wide awake. Reading the book does not put her to sleep, but mid-sentence, I fall asleep. I say, you know, and Purplicia said to her daddy, you know, and just doze off. And she said, Daddy, 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 what did Purplicia say, you know? I can sleep anywhere. I'm, I'm real, I'm a lot like Jesus in that way. So Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is asleep on board this boat. But the big point is that he's there. He's on the boat. That means having or knowing Jesus is no guarantee of a storm-free life. There are plenty of people who mistakenly believe that if someone is a faithful follower of Jesus, that he or she is insulated or protected from the troubles of life, that their children will be successful, that sickness will not come their way, that financial ventures will always be, you will always succeed in them, that disappointments will be for other people and not for you. Now, maybe not what you think should happen. I mean, maybe it's not what you know happens, but it's what you think should, because you feel entitled. Well, as you study the scriptures, you will find out that people who are faithful to God run into some of the worst troubles. Joseph sold into slavery, and then put in prison. Daniel thrown to a den of lions for being faithful to him. Job loses everything except for his life. Jeremiah is put in prison. Paul had an, an affliction that plagued him his entire life. All of Jesus' followers died martyr's death except for one who was exiled as a prisoner. Jesus never promised a life that would be a cruise. However, he did promise, I am with you. That's what he promised. When he was leaving, I am with you. So it may be tough to be in a storm with Jesus. But it is exponentially better than being in one without him. One key application is to notice that the disciples question here. They say, do you not care that we're perishing? Well, you know the short answer to that. It's yes, of course Jesus cares. Jesus demonstrates he cares. By coming, he shows, I care. I love you. He proves it. In fact, that's what his whole life is about, is a rescue mission. But what about you? Do you care? Do you care that there are people who are perishing without the saving knowledge that Jesus Christ has come to offer forgiveness? Forgiveness that is available by grace through faith. Do you care enough to pray for them? Do you care enough to share the gospel with them? Do you care enough to invite them to church who's your one who's the one person you can say I will pray for that person regularly I will look for opportunities to share my faith with them I will invite them you know Easter's coming up it's a great Sunday to invite so who's your one in a violent storm we see that King Jesus cares for those whose lives are in jeopardy in fact we see in this narrative that King Jesus is the passenger who has all of the power to intervene. So let's look at verse 39. It says, and he got up and rebuked the wind. Jesus speaks to the storm here as if it's demonic. It's the same way. If there was somebody filled with a demon, he would speak to the demon. He speaks to the storm in that same way. 
He's doing what only God can do. Speak a command to natural forces. Says, so he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, hush, be still. Now your version may say quiet or silence or peace. But the idea is that Jesus is speaking to the wind and the waves and he does so in the same manner you'd speak to like a yappy dog. You know, shh, hush puppy, be quiet, you know. Or to your children, same thing, shh, be quiet. That's what he says to the storm. It's not some magical incantation. He doesn't wave his arms. He just, as if the storm is listening, he says, shh, be quiet. That's what he says. He speaks to the storm, and then what happens? It says, the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. The master arose and spoke amid a fierce gale of wind, which became perfectly calm. The winds died down. You know what happens after the storms at Lake Murray? The winds die down, but what happens? The waves keep crashing, right? They keep going for a while. They have to relax. Not here. Perfectly calm. Waves die down too. This is a declaration that God reigns. It reveals that Jesus has power and it unveils Jesus as the Savior in the midst of great peril. He has the power. But I would propose to you this morning that Jesus does not just have the power. Rather, Jesus is power. Jesus is the power to salvation. And he speaks to the storm here. <clears throat> you know, another thing that I have in common with Jesus is I speak to things that don't always listen. Maybe you do the same thing. When I'm driving down the road, I will talk to cars that aren't listening to me. And I will talk to drivers that are not listening to me. And, I, I, and you probably do the same thing. And whenever um, my computer starts to die on me, I start to speak to the computer. Don't do this to me now. Don't do as if it's listening. You know, don't die on me now. You know, if I'm watching TV and my team's playing, I talk to the players, the coaches. Have a lot to say to the refs sometimes too. But they're not listening. So I'm a lot like Jesus. He speaks to storms, things that don't necessarily listen, but he does it anyway. So Jesus speaks to the storms here. I cannot speak to storms, but I can speak to Jesus. A great application for this message is to realize what an incredible contact you have. You know, if you were to get into some trouble, you would think, who can I call? Who can get me out of this, right? Or if all of a sudden you wanted tickets or access to something, you would say, who do I know that can help me? Well, who do you call when you hit troubles and storms in life? You call people that care about you most or people that you want to care about you most. Let me tell you this. God loves you with an everlasting love. So you should go to him with your trials. You should go to him with your storms and troubles. You know why? It doesn't wear him out. In fact, he delights in it. So rather than talking about praying, say, you know, I better should, I should pray about this, just pray. Just reach out to him. You know what? You cannot prevent the storm from happening. But you can speak to the master <clears throat> of the storm. You can pour out your heart and in faith ask him to intervene. He's listening. Well, this scene from the true life of Jesus shows his loving concern for people in the midst of a storm and his power to intervene. Therefore, as fearful followers, we must shift our fear to faith that King Jesus will see us through. Verse 40 says, And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, it was real easy to be bold and courageous before the storm came. It was easy to say, well, Jesus will deliver us before the storm. 
And then all of a sudden, the winds and the waves start getting strong. And it changes all of that. Faith was hard to come by. Trust was hard to grab hold of. And the disciples, and this includes fishermen, were seriously afraid. Well, Jesus in this passage contrasts faith with fear. He is not comparing faith to doubt. That's what we do most of the time, right? We contrast faith with doubt. Now, there are plenty of skeptics who read this passage, and they say there's no way that that could have happened. They, They doubt it. They say, you know, it's just legend. Nobody can really speak to a storm, and all of a sudden everything get quiet. But Jesus is not concerned with that here. Right here, he's, regard, he's referring to fear. They, he's referring to fear here. The opposite of fear is faith. Well, faith is not just intellectual acceptance. It's not just a belief. It's trust. That's what faith is. It's trust in a person. Not blind trust, but reasonable trust in a person. It's trust in the divine power present in Jesus. Our fear prevents us from trusting Jesus. We say, I know he's in control, but I better try to do this on my own because we're afraid of the outcome, right? We're afraid what that might mean for us. Faith is not something one is born with. It's something that can ebb and flow through life. It may frizzle or fizzle, excuse me, may fizzle in times of trouble. And it appears from the biblical account that even people that trusted Jesus wholeheartedly struggled with fear struggled with faith when it came to uh, moments like this. So the primary question of Mark is, will the fear of the disciples turn into a total trust in this new and great deliverer? Well, they see this dramatic miracle, and you would expect absolute elation, wouldn't you? I mean, can you imagine us on a boat? It'd be a big boat, but we're out on a boat, and there's a storm coming, and we said, let's pray. And we started praying. And all of a sudden, we watched the storm die down. What will we do? We would be so happy. We would be overjoyed. They'd probably be singing, and some folks would even probably be dancing. Not here. All of a sudden, Jesus, they're all afraid. They wake up Jesus. Jesus speaks to the storm. The storm dies down, and what happens? They're terrified now. <laughs> they're blown away. They ask, who in the world is this that he speaks to the wind and the waves? And they obey. They thought they knew Jesus. Now they're totally confused. Who is this person we thought we knew? But the focus of this story is not on how Jesus rescues when the disciples cry. That's what we want to make it about in our own lives. We want to draw from this some sort of formula for receiving our own rescue in the midst of our storms. But the focus is not on that. It's on who Jesus is. King Jesus is in the boat. And the critical element is not the amount of faith that they have, but it's the object of their faith. I've been hearing a lot about this documentary that maybe some of you have seen called Free Solo, which uh, looks at the great free climber Alex Honnold. He's a rock climber who goes up without ropes, and he does it by himself. So he's free solo. That's what that means. And he's the first and only person to free solo El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. That's a 3,000-foot vertical rock wall. And he goes up without ropes, without nets, and without anybody there to help him. That's what he does. Scary thing, I know. It makes me a little bit panicky even thinking about it. And you think you're putting your fingers into crevices. What if they don't hold or your toes and just trying to hold on? Can you imagine if you were doing that and you started to slip? And then over here you saw this branch sticking out of a crevice. And you grab hold of that branch. How much faith do you have to have in that branch for it to save your life? Just enough to grab it, right? 
You can have shaky faith when you wrap your fingers around it, or you can have bold faith. It doesn't matter the quality of your faith. It just matters what you're trusting in. It's not the quality of your faith that saves you from sin. It's the object of your faith. Who are you trusting to save you? What are you trusting to save you? You know, some people have really big faith in their ability to do good works. They have really big faith in their baptism or in their Christian pedigree. They come from a Christian family or in the knowledge that they have. They have big faith in that. But big faith in those things are not going to save you. Your only hope for eternal life is faith, whether it's shaky or bold, but faith in Jesus. Will you believe Jesus and receive him today? He's calling Would you respond to him? Now, I know some of you are facing some very serious matters. And perhaps you've prayed and are praying. And the storm just seems to be raging. And the thought in your mind is just like the disciples. Jesus, don't you care? (laughs) If you loved me, you wouldn't let me go through this. This is unbearable. Where are you? And you're trying to wake him. Tim Keller speaks of this issue in one of his books, and he points out that when Jesus calmed the storm, that he didn't say to the disciples, I understand why you're so panicky. I get it. I'd be scared too. He doesn't say that. He says to them, why were you afraid? And they must have thought, because we were going to die. You know, they must have thought, because you were sleeping. We thought you loved us. We thought you cared for us. But you stayed asleep. What do you mean, why were we afraid? But Jesus' question carries this thought. Your premise is wrong. You should have known better. Jesus says, I do allow people I love to go through storms. It turns out that Jesus is as unmanageable as a raging storm. We like to think that he gives us perfect circumstances, but no. And no wonder they were terrified. Jesus does not always do according to my plans. Jesus does not always do according to what best suits me. But I have faith that he loves me. He's not like the storm because he loves me. And he has the power to intervene. What I can't always see, though, is his plans. I can't see that long distance that he has in view. I can't see from the other side of eternity. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.8, We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. You know, I think I know what that feels like. I wonder if you can relate to that. The circumstances of life, people that are filled with sin, my own sin, that all of a sudden leads me into moments where I feel hard-pressed. But I know that with Jesus, I'm not crushed. Jesus tells us, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So as fruit on the branches that remains on the vine, when we are hard-pressed, It produces new wine. Perhaps God is making new wine, joy in the midst of suffering. Jesus is not on record for calming every storm. He can love somebody and still let bad things happen to them. Because he is God. And while it feels painful, God is working with a purpose and an end in mind. No matter what, he does promise to be with you. And he has the power to sustain us through the storms. So we can have faith in King Jesus who has all power and loving concern for the perishing. There's an interesting parallel to this story in the Old Testament. It's that epic tale of Jonah. Y'all remember Jonah? God called him to bring salvation to the people of Nineveh. He says, no way. He hops on a boat headed in the other direction. 
Do you know what happens when he gets on that boat? Uh, Jonah 1.4 says, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. So there's a storm, just like here in the account that Mark's telling us. The sailors are scared to death, but what about Jonah? Do you remember where Jonah was? Asleep in the bottom of the boat. So evidently he was a lot like the Lord as well. Mark has deliberately laid out this parallel story so that we relate it to this. The captain wakes up Jonah, he alerts him to the situation, and Jonah discovers everyone is scared for their lives. What are we to do? So what does he do? Does he speak to the storm? You're like, oh man, he's going to stand up. Hush, be quiet. No, this is what it says, verse 4. The Lord, uh, I mean, excuse me, verse 12. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Well, that's exactly what they do. They throw him overboard. That's how that big fish swallows him. He's thrown to his death so that the men on the boat can survive. Now, Jesus is not thrown into the sea, but he does come to rescue the perishing. In fact, in Matthew 12, 41, Jesus himself says, Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus came as the true and the better Jonah. King Jesus performs a miracle to calm the storm, but he's more than just a miracle worker. He's a savior. He came to calm all storms, to steal all waves, to destroy death, and to give you the hope of eternal life. Jesus went to the cross so that you could receive forgiveness. Today, would you let the, Jesus calm the storm of your life by responding to him? The kingdom of God is at hand, and the person of King Jesus is calling. Will you respond? Our Father and God, we thank you so much for the narrative of Scripture here and the true story of what happened at the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, we know you calmed the storm there. And we know you calm the storms of our life. But Father, more than anything, we pray for those that are here in the room that need the storm of eternity to be quieted. God, that you would speak and they would respond. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Come to a time of invitation. So many ways to respond. Many of you might do it right where you are and make a commitment. I'm going to pick who my one is. I'm going to care about the perishing. You might say, I need to join the church. I want to follow in believer's baptism. You come right down front as we stand and we'd love to receive you if maybe today you're saying you know what i've placed faith big faith in the wrong things but today i want to place faith in jesus i'll be waiting down here i'd love to we'd love to let some folks chat with you to share with you from god's word how you can respond you stand as our choir sings you respond